The Samaritan woman was tired of thirsting and drawing water day after day. Wouldn't you be? Her yoke was heavy. We take modern conveniences for granted, don't we? Jesus knew that the yoke of Satan was hard and burdensome. What about you? What burden are you carrying? Sometimes I truly feel the Samaritan woman's burden, the heaviness of that water vessel that she had to bring to the well day after day. I can relate. What about you? Hello and welcome to Broken Vessels Podcast. My name is Ruth Douthit and I am a teacher of God's Word and I welcome you to this Woman at the Well Bible Study. We are in Lesson 7. Last time we learned more about who Jacob was and how the Samaritan woman had asked Jesus, Are you greater than Jacob? This week we're going to look more at the water and the woman and Jesus. Lesson 7 waters of rest in the translation of psalm 23 1 through 2 it says the lord is my shepherd i shall not lack he makes me lie down in pastures of tender grass and he leads me beside waters of rest so many times we get bogged down with work in the office meetings tasks emails phone calls constant change And we can also get bogged down with work around the house, changing diapers, chasing kids, preparing meals, cleaning the bathroom, folding laundry, helping with homework. Sometimes we forget to rest. I mean, truly rest. Not just our bodies, but our minds too. I remember when I was in high school, my father would scowl whenever I mentioned how hard the schoolwork was or how tired I was when I got home from school. To him, school was not work. He had graduated high school, and that was enough school for him. My father worked very hard all his life. He drove a truck five days a week from three in the morning until three in the afternoon. I don't know how he did it for over 30 years. That was hard work. And then at night, he went to work as a janitor. My mother had worked full time and then helped with the janitor business at night too, in addition for cooking for six people and cleaning our house. My parents knew hard work, but one thing they did not understand is that sometimes schoolwork can also be hard, but in a different way than physical labor. Either way, work is hard and it's tiring. The Jewish people in the Lord's day on earth were very tired. They knew work too. Not only were they working hard physically in labor, but they also were tired from trying to obey all the laws of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These men of God were adding to God's laws in order to keep the people oppressed and themselves exalted. We read in the book of Matthew just how these men were constantly adding to the laws of God. And Jesus saw these scribes and teachers of the law. He knew what they were doing to his people. So Jesus cried out to the people that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Praise God, what wonderful words these must have been to his people. They had the bondage of the Romans and the bondage of the Hebrew law to live under daily. No wonder many were giving up on both and turning to their own ways. In Galatians 5.1, Paul wrote, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Praise God for his waters of rest. 
John 4.15 The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Some commentaries of John suggest that she is responding sarcastically, but others say she was sincere. I feel that she was sincere because she was tired. She was tired of searching for the right man who would love her, tired of having to draw water day in and day out, and tired of having to come to the well in the heat of the day instead of when evening fell in order to avoid the eyes of other women. What about you? How do you understand her response to be? Relief from labor is a good thing. Everyone loves coming home at the end of a long day, whether it's a long day of work or school. Perhaps the Samaritan woman is speaking as a woman who wants relief from the labor of constantly searching for something to quench her thirst. How many of you have ever watched the small sparrows outside during the hot summer day? These little birds are searching for food and water almost 24 hours a day, and yet the Lord provides for them. In Matthew 10, Jesus said, Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. How does that verse make you feel? Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman about relief from spiritual bondage. What did Jesus say to those who were tired? In Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 29 he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We are not completely free to do what we want. Did you notice? Jesus said we are still under a yoke. We are under his yoke, his control. But his yoke isn't heavy. It's light. Before we have redemption, we are in slavery. We are in debt. We have a debt we cannot pay. I don't know about you, but I know what it's like to be in debt. It's a horrible feeling knowing that you cannot possibly pay off a debt. We had to sell off our house one time to finally be debt-free. It was humiliating to be in the service of a credit card company. We were one payment away from losing everything. Before we have forgiveness of sins, we are in debt to God. His debt we cannot repay, and it keeps us in bondage to Satan, the world, and our flesh. We are slaves to somebody, as we read in Romans 6, either of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. The Samaritan woman said, Sir, give me this water. Yes, the Samaritan woman was tired of thirsting and drawing water. Who wouldn't be? Her yoke was heavy. We're blessed. We have modern conveniences and we take them for granted. Imagine having to draw water daily for drinking and bathing. We complain when we turn the knob and the water doesn't come out hot enough for us. Jesus knows that the yoke of Satan is hard and burdensome. These burdens we have here in the world take away from us our youth, our health, our rest, not to mention our peace of mind. But the yoke of Jesus is easy and gives us rest because it tells us in 1 John 5 that his commandments are not burdensome. The woman said that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. That tells us right there that she was weary, wasn't she? Could Jesus relate? In John 4, verse 6, it says, So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was the sixth hour. 
Yes, Jesus could relate because he was weary from his journey. We have a Savior who can relate to us because he had experienced what we have experienced. Watching the weary and heavy burdened people around him, we know Jesus had mercy and sorrow in his heart. Remember we had read how Jesus was described in Isaiah. He was a man of sorrows. He was God in flesh after all. We discussed in earlier lessons how Jesus was a man of sorrows because the last time he walked on earth, he had been in the Garden of Eden when everything around him was perfection. He had seen Adam and Eve in all their beauty and glory, their bodies completely perfect. Their bodies knew no sin. Creation knew no sin. Now the time of our Lord, he was walking in the desert lands, barren, stricken. He saw what sin had done to his people and to his creation. No wonder he was a man of sorrows. As an artist, I can somewhat understand. I work very hard on a painting or a drawing, and when I sign my name, it's finished, and I step back and admire my work, and sometimes other people admire it too, and I'm grateful to God for that talent. But I can't imagine if after working so hard on one of my creations, someone took a knife and sliced it to pieces. I would be very angry. I would be very sorrowful. So I can completely understand how Jesus, looking at his beautiful creation, now sees it ravaged by sin. But instead of being angry, Jesus has compassion. In Matthew chapter 9, we see Jesus come face to face with his people, affected by most sins of the world. They were healed of blindness and deafness and not being able to talk and full of leprosy and, and being crippled and lame. Imagine Jesus standing there looking out over the dry desert lands as the multitudes came to him some limping toward him from physical wounds, others groped the air because they were blind, some were bound from head to toe because they were lepers, but all were coming toward him while being harassed by the people near them. Just imagine the sight. And the disciples were there with him. Imagine what they had thought. They were humble fishermen who had probably never seen so many people in their lives. Now all these sick and lame people were coming toward Jesus and toward them for help. I am certain there was a bit of panic on their faces. Yet we have the words of Jesus in Matthew 9. It says in Matthew 9, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus is the Good Shepherd, and he cares for his sheep. Having known what sin had done to his creation, Jesus was moved to compassion for them, moved to the point of willingly laying down his life as an atonement for their sins to set them free from that debt, to set them free from that bondage, free from death, reconciled to God. And now the Samaritan woman, she was about to be called as one of the laborers to help Jesus with the harvest. John 4:16. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. Now the last time we had looked at Jesus and how he needed to prepare the Samaritan woman for his holiness before he could use her to do his work. Remember? 
broken vessels mended by God to be used. In this lesson, we will see how Jesus does this. Now notice in John 4, 16, it says, Jesus said to her. Remember this fact, Jesus spoke to her. He was in complete control of the conversation. He is sovereign. How wonderful that we have such a personal God who speaks to us. But more importantly is the fact that we should hear his words. In Mark 9, God himself said, This is my beloved son. Hear him. God knows how important it is for us to hear the words of Christ. But we must be quiet in order to hear him. And how are we to live? Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11, And to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you. To live quietly. You can't hear what someone's saying if you're not being quiet. Next, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. Ouch, those words must have hurt. They must have caused shame. I can almost see her cringe when Jesus said this to her. Of course, these words of Christ must have convicted the Samaritan woman of sin because she knew the truth. She was drinking that iniquity like water. And I know exactly how she felt. Like me, she was convinced that she needed the sexual sin in order to live. Like her, I had thought that sex equaled love. But we know that Jesus is preparing her for his service, for his living water to fill her vessel to overflowing. Just as God had dealt with Jacob's sin, and David's sin, and Isaiah's sin, so must he deal with a woman's sin before he can use her. Just like he did with me. He had to convict me of my sin. As Isaiah was destroyed when he came into the presence of the Lord, so must her earthen vessel be destroyed or cut off as well. What was Isaiah's response to seeing God in Isaiah 6? He said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. But in 1 John 1, 9, what is Jesus faithful to do? He is faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He hears our prayers. In Isaiah 6, like the seraphim who flew to Isaiah to cleanse him of his sin, the Lord Jesus comes to this woman at the well to deal with her sinful life. She had probably thought her life in sin was okay. I know I did for a time. But the Lord was about to show her that the greatest life was still ahead for her. How can we apply this knowledge to our lives? Remember in 1 John 1, 9, it says to confess. The word confess is from the Greek word homologeo, which means to assent, agree, promise. So when you are confessing your sin, you're saying to God that you agree with him that it is sin, especially if we are convinced that we need that sin in our lives. Confessing sin can be difficult, especially if we are convinced that we need that sin in our lives. But in 1 John 1, we are told that if we agree with God or confess, that we are in sin and have sinned, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not an easy thing to come before a holy God and confess or agree with him that we are sinners. We are destroyed, cut off, struck down. I know from personal experience that it hurts. If you read in Psalm 51, you'll see this as an uncommon prayer. A local pastor friend of mine considers this psalm an uncommon prayer. By common, he means this prayer isn't about asking for tangible healing or mending a relationship or just praising God for blessings. No, 
You don't have to end an uncommon prayer with the phrase, If this be your will, Lord, because to seek forgiveness of sin or to lament over sin is always in the perfect will of God. Notice that all those verbs and commands in Psalm 51 David wrote, Have mercy, blot out, wash me, cleanse me, purge me, make me, create in me, restore me, uphold me, deliver me. This is an amazing psalm of repentance. You can read the mournful emotions of David as he confesses. Like Isaiah was, he is destroyed before God. If you ever have trouble confessing, read that psalm, Psalm 51, to the Lord. It will change your prayer life forever. There is much to praise the Lord for today. We have been saved from the wrath of God. We have been reconciled to Him. That debt is paid forever. So take time today to thank the Lord for the conviction of your sins. Praise Him that He is cleansing you and preparing you to be used in His ministries. He brought you to this Bible study for a reason. Praise Him for carving away those unwanted pieces daily. Praise Him for His holiness and for breaking your earthen vessel, only to restore it with His fine gold. And thank Him for the forgiveness of your sins and the atonement or price that was paid on your behalf, the death on the cross. And finally, praise Jesus for conquering death once and for all, that you may live. As Paul wrote in Ephesians, you are now alive in Christ. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, we are struck down, but not destroyed. John 4, 17-18 The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Jesus' words must have cut her deeply. In the first century, for a woman not to have a husband made her an outcast. Today, not having a husband is seen as normal, but back then, It was scandalous. The words of Jesus must have hurt her because he reminded her of her position in society. He convicted her with his words. That is how the conviction of sin works. It awakens our conscience to our depraved state. Then it prepares our hearts to receive the grace of the Lord. Finally, the soul is made weary and heavy laden to receive the new yoke, the yoke of Christ is easy. Matthew Henry Commentary, 1960. Jesus, as the Good Shepherd, had to hurt his little lamb first. It seems cruel to us, but sometimes the shepherd would break the leg of a rebellious lamb in order to keep it from wandering into danger. The shepherd would then carry the little hurt lamb on his shoulders. Jesus, as the Good Shepherd, hurt the Samaritan woman first And then we will see as he leads her to the rest of his yoke, of his pastures of tender grass and his waters of rest. How beautiful is that? Jesus said to her, For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. Convicting words hurt, and Jesus was basically calling her an adulteress. How is God's word described in Hebrews 4? As a double-edged sword, cutting through bone and marrow, Ouch. But remember in 2 Timothy 3, Paul said that all scripture is profitable. The words of Jesus are profitable to this woman. Her reproof is for her own good. Yet Jesus spoke to her mildly in his reproof. And in Revelation 3, what does God do to those whom he loves? He disciplines them. 
he is calling her to repent. But he praises her for telling the truth. She could have lied, but because her conscience is being prepared, she is drawn to tell the truth to this stranger who speaks of living water. Jesus came to her with the gift of liberty. That's in him. Oswald Chambers once said, Jesus came to her, the Samaritan woman, with the gift of liberty that is in him because he knows that is the best thing for her, his liberty. And remember, what's the kind of yoke that Paul wrote of in Galatians 5? That the yoke of Jesus is easy. Jesus called his yoke light. So how can we apply what we've learned so far? Think back to a time when the Lord first spoke to you. In what stage of life were you? Were you a child as I was? Or were you a young adult? With what sins did Jesus confront you? I'm ashamed to admit that all my awful sins were committed after I became a Christian. How tragic is that? How did Jesus prepare you to receive his grace? Was it a pastor's sermon or a youth group activity? A mission trip that began to draw you to him? The Samaritan woman heard Jesus' words because they were written on her heart. In Romans 2, verse 15, Paul wrote, They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. In verse 16, he wrote, And on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. The Samaritan woman knew some things of the Hebrew God, to the point of fearing him and respecting him, but not to the point of giving up her sinful ways. She knew enough about the Lord to venerate Jacob and what he did for God's people. Yet she did not know enough to worship the God of Jacob. She was being drawn to the living water for many years before she met Jesus at the well. When we witness to the lost, we must take all this into account. Our hearts must remember that their salvation has nothing to do with us or the words that we say, but it has everything to do with the Lord and how he uses every opportunity to prepare sinners to receive his grace. If you were introduced to Christ by someone or through a sermon, you must remember that it was many years before that moment that the Lord was seeking you out because you would never seek him out. God knew that. We see that in scripture. As we will soon read, Jesus reconciled the Samaritan woman to himself just as he did to you. It pleased God to see his son suffer and die to conquer death once and for all, so he would be reconciled to his sheep, his people, once again. Because of our sins, the Lord had to die. What two evils have the people committed? It says in Jeremiah 2, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Like the Samaritan woman, we had forsaken the fountains of living water to make for ourselves our own wells of water. But we are broken earthen vessels that hold no water. So Jesus not only became the perfect earthen vessel, but he also became that fountain of living water springing up into everlasting life. If you are a believer and have that fountain of living water flowing up and out of you unto everlasting life, then you have been led to those waters of rest. Now, our works are transferred to Christ, who has completed every good work. He is finished. His work is finished. 
In Revelation 14 it says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Now that we have that rest, we must remain in it, so we don't fall back into disobedience. Like the Samaritan woman, we have a thirst that needs to be quenched, and only God's living water can quench it. You are the vessel restored, and you are filled with this gift. Praise God indeed, for He is good, and His mercies endure forever. Thank you for joining me for this lesson. Until next time, what did God reveal to you in these lessons that challenged you or encouraged you? Think about that. All of us need to be challenged in our walk with Christ. Next time, we'll look deeper into how the woman responds to what Jesus says and how Jesus challenges her theology. Until next time, thank you for joining me. God bless.